The way society is set up today is that people want to see right now what people are doing and willing to risk. And I think right now we're seeing that athletes are willing to do different things. Entertainers are as well. So now folks are more open to to not shutting up and dribbling. They're like, let me say my piece. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Here with me is Alexis uh, Feaster, and uh, we're going to get a chance to talk to her about all her great accomplishments. Before I get to that, if you're watching us here on YouTube, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd love to have a review. That's how people can learn about all the great things that we are disrupting and, and helping to move social impact. That's our goal here to really talk about how we can uh, shape narratives, change narratives, and ultimately change uh, constructs and, and change outcomes, uh, particularly for, for the Black community and others really across the world. So uh, we can't do that unless more people know about it. You can't be a famous secret. So appreciate that like, subscribe, and all you can do to review. But back to Alexis. Uh, Alexis, you have, a, you have a very diverse past. So you're uh, just recently the former senior uh, director of player development of the NBA. I want to talk to you about some of that experience. You also had some uh, run in politics. You were uh, you, you were the national regional surrogate director for for the Obama for uh, Barack Obama's reelection campaign in 2012, uh, where you got a chance to interact with Jay Z, Mariah Carey, John uh, John Bon Jovi, a whole bunch of people, and um, and now you've launched your own business, uh, Kinship Advisors, and you're also working on a new business I just I just heard about too. So it's just a really diverse background. I want to say we're honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I was telling you earlier that you've had all my friends on here. So from John Rogers to Tamika Mallory, I, I, I feel like it feels special to be in this seat. So thank you. Well, we feel special to have you. So <laughs> let's let's jump right in. I know you, you're from Washington, D.C. and had a lot of involvement in the community for a long time. Alexis, when you were a young, young, you're still young. We were super young, Alexis. Um, <laughs> and you're seeing yourself and you're if you were to talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self now and what advice would you ignore? You know, I think my advice to my younger self would be all based on not having any fear. Um, I think if you look at the things that I've done in my career and most recently now with the kinship, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I did have a lot of fear making these movements, right? I think a lot of people have what's called imposter syndrome. So, you know, I, I didn't come from a family that had a bunch of connections in politics or sports or entertainment. And so when I was getting into these jobs and industries, I knew I was super qualified. But every now and then when I was young, the, the fear would creep in. Like I said, the imposter syndrome, how yeah. did I get here? How am I here with Jay-Z and President Obama? Like, how, how does this happen, right? And the reality is, is that I would tell my younger self that I belong, right? Like I'm meant to be there because I've worked really hard and because I've, you know, put all the, the work in and, and actually really made a difference in the different places where I've actually, you know, worked, right? So my impact has been great. And that's why I've been given these different opportunities to excel and succeed. And so what I would tell my younger self is, girl, you belong. This is your lane. Social impact is your jam. You know, helping Black communities and helping your people is your calling, and so I would really just instill that in, in, in my younger self. Um, like I said, particularly as I launched Kinship in January 2021 in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. I was like, I know I'm doing the right thing. But at the same time, I'm like, girl, you really about to be 40 years old and <laughs> have a mortgage and really jump out there. So I would just tell myself, you know, obviously don't have the fear because you're, you're prepared and you're meant for this. And then what advice I would ignore is, you know, so often people tell 
me and people I know like to focus on one thing, right? And I had a mentor of mine say to me, you know, Richard Branson has what hundreds of businesses. Warren Buffett has all these different things he does. Like, why is it that when people are talking to folks of color, they say, you know, you need to just attention, have your attention to detail and focus on the one thing. So I would ignore that advice for yeah. myself and for anyone else that that looks like us. Obviously, you need to have, you know, clear intentions and all of that. Um, and it's not about having a plan B. It's really about the fact that if I see multiple streams of income, if I see overlap in what I'm doing and what I love to do across tech, across, you know, music, across sports, then I'm allowed to put my pinky toe in all of it, right? Absolutely. Like as long as I know how to handle it, as long as I, I'm able to balance and, and figure it all out and, and do all the things that I know how to do well. So that would be my, the thing that I would ignore is, you know, I could do more than one thing. So uh, Alexis, uh, uh, as we talk about advice, I'm curious, you've met with some pretty prominent people. Jay-Z, have you, did you get a chance to sit down and actually have a conversation with Jay-Z or was it in and out? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so Multiple give me- Multiple times, yeah. <laughs> All right, so what's the, so I want, you, you, you're in the room with Hove, you're in the room with Jigga. Like what's the, what's the one piece of advice or what's one thing you could think of from your conversations that you, that you feel comfortable talking about that you just took away from the conversations with Jay-Z? I'm curious. Yeah, no, what's, one piece of advice, I don't remember any advice that okay. he actually said in particular, but there was a moment when I was working for President Obama and we were filming this Jay-Z piece around, you know, exercising our right to vote. And I remember that, I just remember feeling how he trusted me, right? So if you guys know Hope, he doesn't do a whole lot of like commercials and you've just never seen him doing a whole bunch of things like that. But at the time, I just remember that, you know, that he trusted me in that moment, right? And I remember he said, he's like, you got two questions better be good. And I was like, oh no, we have two great questions. You know, I was really prepared. And the producer- So what were the questions? What were the questions? I'm curious. What was the- uh, They were, this is <laughs> a decade ago. But yeah, hey, I figured it was, with, it was a Jay-Z. You remember this, maybe not. It, it was, it was. And it's on YouTube. I think we got like 2 million views or something like that from that okay. piece that we produced. But I, I remember it being around, you know, Black people exercising their right. And the fact that our ancestors- fought and died for our right to vote. And so the question was around that. And he was, he was answering that question. But I remember also that we all got excited, right? So the producer had a third question. And I just remember being like, no, he only said two. And so I was like, no, no more, you know, like, oh, I, I'm going to keep Hope's trust. I don't care about anybody yeah. else in this room. But this man told me two. I'm so grateful. And I remember him saying to me after that, he appreciated that, right? Like he appreciated that I kept to, to what we talked about. And so that's something that stuck with me from, from Hove. It stuck with me from anybody else that I work with that's of influence is part of my credibility is that they're trusting me to do what I say that I'm going to do. And then I'm listening to what they're asking of me. And so that stands out, like that experience really stood out. That's awesome. What about Obama? I actually met Obama a few times too, but yeah. I'd love to hear your, do you have any stories or takeaways or things that just stand out in your mind from, from meeting Obama? Yeah. Well, I'll give an example at the same, at the same event. Okay. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, that was a different Jay-Z time. I'm getting my Jay-Z times confused. At a you got too many Jay-Z times to keep track of. Like one of the few people in the world that can say that, like, I can't, I can't remember. It's just been so many times. I just can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny is it was both in 4040 clubs. So the interview was in 4040. And then we brought President Obama to 4040 for a fundraiser event. And I remember that, you know, President Obama left. And then he came back um, and he said, like, he literally walked up to me and said, I just wanted to thank you because I knew this was your event. Right. So I'm thinking, you don't know me from Adam. Yes, you see me at all these different functions. Right. And he always acknowledges me because he's so gracious and amazing. But the fact that he recognized my work 
And he literally said, oh, I, you know, I should have known this was you, right? Like I come to this event. It's fun. It's at 4040. Jay-Z and Beyonce yeah. are there. You created this vibe. And like, so to him, I guess I'd, I had created this thing that he knew when it was Alexis involved in the event, right? And so for him to say that to me, that he knew that it was something that I was behind, um, just melt me, you know, I was like, I can start working now. The fact that I've got like a brand, you know, that he he recognized that was was special. I'll tell you my, my Obama story before we move on to the next question. It's pretty, it's pretty brief. So I actually met President Obama. I met him quite a few times before he had the pure title, President Obama, when he was um, going on the road after he made like his speech at the, at the Democratic National Convention. I guess that would be in <clears throat> 2004. So this was like in 2006 when, you know, they go through that period of, are they going to announce? Are they going to announce? Is he going to? And he just kind of had to build up and he was like the, the hot ticket. And uh, he came to Ohio you know, and uh, I actually got a chance to sit right next to him when I have the picture. It's uh, like literally like we're like leaning back. It's like a picture I couldn't get nowadays. Like we're like <laughs> leaning back. And I remember and, like I was I was a huge fanboy that I was like before I even run for office. It was like who I was looking up to. And and, it, and, he, and uh, I just remember him just being really just smooth and gracious. gracious. And he said and uh, I remember he couldn't really hear everything. And he said, uh, look, Rob, I'm deputizing you. I want you to go up there and talk to them to say, can they adjust the sound? I like ran up there and did it right. <laughs> did whatever he said. Right. Uh, but he was just so cool and gracious and uh, and thoughtful. That was my that was my uh, that's my that was my uh, takeaway there. And that was in 2006. And then I, I said, I'm going to do whatever I can if he, if he runs for president. And he did. And I did do everything he could. And he actually won Ohio. And hopefully not the last Democratic president to win Ohio, but it's not looking good. Anywho, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I digress. I digress. So um, let's talk about your life a little bit in the NBA and how that informs what you're doing now. Uh, I really want to talk about uh, really a few things. Um, you help advise you, did you do this? Did you did you do did you did you help advise players about their transition out of the NBA while you were in the NBA, or do you, or you just do that now? For no, I did it in the NBA as well. Okay, you, okay. So talk about that if you can. Sorry to interrupt you, but talk yeah. about the challenges there because I, I can imagine there's a lot of challenges from uh, transitioning out of the NBA where you're like always in the middle of the arena. You probably have this kind of competitor edge where you have people screaming your name. You got that adrenaline. All those things that now you go, all of a sudden they don't exist. And obviously you have to find new sources of income and, and life is different. Talk to talk to me about some of the challenges you, you, you've you seen and how you helped navigate uh, some of the players through these things. Um, no. So one of the things that, that I did at the NBA was, you know, senior director of player development was really helping advise players off the court. So off the court men, you know, draft combine. So as they're coming into the league. We're talking about everything from the pitfalls of being professional to women to everything you could possibly. So you guys have. have real talks with them, like, look, you need to. Oh yeah, <laughs> people, we're like, people are coming for you. Do all the things. Like, <laughs> <laughs> keep it, keep it up twice. Be careful. Exactly. Uh, yes. Be careful. Like you know, babies are real, and all the other things out there are real. You're just trying to be, you know, you're 19. Focus on the game. So I, I was advising them coming into the league, during the league, and then absolutely, you know, as they're transitioning out. But it is difficult, right? So we're yeah, because yeah, how do you reach them? Because I'm thinking about myself in 19, yeah. and you're right, and I'm like, I don't know. Like I had that level of fame, and women were coming after me left and right. Like I, I like it's amazing that some that more people don't screw up a whole lot because it's it's hard. Like so, how do you 
how do you advise them to that? Cause it seems very, very difficult to, to come from that circumstance. And then you get to this level where, you know, people are just uh, telling you how great you are. 99% of them don't really care about you. Uh, most of them are seeing you as a transaction. How do you go about advising them in ways that can actually reach them? Cause it seems like it would be very hard. I think it would have been hard to reach me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, at the end of the day, they don't know me. Right. So right. You know, your AAU coach, your mama, your daddy, your agent, like I'm the new person, everyone at the league, we're the new people coming into your life. So first and foremost for me was always, how do we build trust? It doesn't happen overnight. You know, luckily for me, because they've met me at combine, they get to rookie transition, which I'm sure you've heard of, which is like the four day thing where the guys are sequestered in a hotel. They can't yeah. leave. I'm always a team captain. So you've got four days of just me and, and my colleagues at the time. And so we're building this trust. So we're saying like, I don't want anything from you. You don't pay my bills. I get my paycheck from someplace else. Like at the end of the day, like I'm just here to, to give advice. And, and for me, my tactic was always to connect them with other former players. So I would take guys to LA to sit down with Magic Johnson and go bowling and chop it up over dinner. And so like my thing was all about how do you create a space and environment where they're not, I mean, they're, they're young, right? So they're not, they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to listen yeah, to everything exactly. I have to say. But the idea was that, do they trust my feedback, right? Do they trust what's coming out of my mouth? If the answer is yes, then maybe every now and then what I'm saying or what I've said might pop into your head. And if the answer is no, then you're already, you know, there's, you're a non-starter, right? And so right. My, my position has always been for athletes, for, you know, singers and entertainers when I work with them as well. Be authentically who I am. I'm from Southeast DC. I know what it's like. I've got friends and and I don't have any baby daddies, you know, at this stage in my life, but I know a lot of people who do. Um, but I also know, like at the end of the day, coming from an inner city, I know what the pitfalls are, right? And so they can relate to me. I know so much about our culture because they are me and I am them, right? And so I think the more I could build that and and talk about that and be with them and kind of meet them where they are you know, it's, it's not my job to, to, to police them at all. It's give them what advice I know, connect them with the right people and, and just, you know, be there for them if anything does happen. Yeah. So is there, is there any key piece of what's the, what's, what's the key piece of advice you usually give the uh, rookies and people in the league? What's, what is it? What's the, if you had to say most important thing for you to do is X, what would it be? Yeah. I think the most important thing I always tell them is to like be resilient and like be able to bounce back, right? Because you're going to mess up. You're going to be late for practice. You're going to be in the media about something. Somebody's going to talk about you. Somebody's going to catch you slipping. It's going to happen, right? It happens to the best of us. They have yeah. the spotlight and the scrutiny in front of them, you know, that's different. So my advice has always been like bounce back quickly, right? Get the talk to people who you need to talk to. If you need therapy, get that too. But don't just go inward because so much, so often, you know, people get embarrassed from their mistakes, yeah. right? And what do you do when you get embarrassed? You're like, I don't want to see anybody. I don't yeah. want to talk about anything. I just want to be here and sulk. And that's that's just not the way out of it, right? The, the proper way is if you can, you know, just know that you're you're human, right? And the same way that we say that they're more than an athlete, these are men first. These yeah, are absolutely. men first. So that's always my advice to them is we've all made mistakes and just bounce back. Yeah, uh I mean, my advice would be to make sure you always have somebody on your team that you empower someone on your team to look out for your best interests, even when you don't agree, because you have these athletes, especially if they've been good for a long time. And I know if that many of them come friends and go on to be to do very well, uh, they've had people worshiping them their whole life. And not necessarily, and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily do you any good. It doesn't do you any good because they're not giving you real advice. They're telling you to go out here and do things that are going to put you in a compromised position because it doesn't hurt them. You can't do 
you can't do what your what your friends are doing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, I mean that would be my advice. And I think that's the hardest thing because, you know, it's not always true. But if they're around people that they've been around their whole life, they want to help and be around the same people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if the same people aren't headed in the same direction and don't have your best interests in mind. They just it doesn't mean you can't hang out with them, but they can't hang out with you in certain places. Like unless unless you're all going the same direction. Like I love what LeBron has done. You you know help your boys out lift them up, but they're all going in the same direction. Like nobody's trying to like bring him down. Uh, they all are trying to protect him because it's in their collective interest. So, right. but I don't know how you do that when you're, when you have a situation, like what do you do when someone, and I don't want you to name anybody specific, I know you won't, but if someone has a circle around them that clearly doesn't have their best interests, because mm. I think that's a really hard chat. Like how do you walk mm-hmm. through that type of situation, which I, I'm sure that happens often because pe- oh, yeah. how do you walk through that with them in a way that doesn't turn them off but then can kind of reach them. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, no, Rob, it's, that's literally one of the hardest things, right? I see, I, you see it all the time. And sometimes it's not a friend. Sometimes it's somebody that's working for you, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's the agency. Sometimes it's, you know, who knows who it is, yep. <laughs> but the reality is, is it's hard to watch, right? It's heartbreaking. But to your point, like it can never be something that I'm advising or telling anyone to do because at the end of the day, I still know my place, right? My place is that I'm the random lady. And they literally call me the the NBA lady. I'm the random NBA NBA lady. lady. That's funny. (laughs) That's the title of the show, the NBA lady. Go ahead. Look, I've I've had people do like their little media and be like, the NBA lady called me. And I'm like, shoot, you know, just don't say my name, you know? So like, I'm the the random NBA lady, right? That's coming to your life. So all I could do- So you're like the Olivia Pope without the drama. Right, exactly. I'm like, stay stay over here. But what I do is I, I ask, I ask questions. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm also a life coach and I've been a coach for, for a while and I take a lot of those techniques. So I'll pose the question to, to the athletes that we work with. Hey, Hey, do you see X, Y, Z? Like, are you seeing that this person that's around you all the time is being super helpful? Like, tell me about the dynamic and they'll start talking through the dynamic. Well, he's supposed to be working with me to do this, but he's always oversleeping. All right. He never gets me to my game one time or he's never. And all of a sudden they're, open a can of worms. Right. And I'm right. like, huh. so you pay him to do that. You pay him to not <laughs> on time. Like that's what you pay him to do. And he's like, you're right. I need to have a conversation with him. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe he should just be your friend and maybe he shouldn't work for you. Right. Like maybe you don't have to pay your friends. Right. Exactly. Maybe he doesn't have to move into the city that you're in. Maybe he could just live in your hometown and you catch him during Christmas, like everybody else. Right. Exactly. Like you don't have to, to take everybody with you, like you said. And so my, my technique has always been to ask the, ask what I, what I think are the right questions and people kind of get their own aha moments. Yeah. I think that is the way to go about it. Like my, my, my father is very much that way instead of, and I've had to learn how to develop that instead of trying to go out and just make a conclusion. Cause you'll just lose people, make them discover it on their own through a series of questions and have them say it. They're like, Oh wait, I never really thought about that. Cause you're so close situation. You don't see it. Right. Yeah. Alexis. So I, I agree. Social change and social impact is something that you focused a lot on while you were in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to specifically talk about the time with the pandemic and the, there's so much going on, obviously the pandemic and, and then in the midst of uh, the, the the murder of George Floyd, uh, uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor, there's a whole lot going on during that time. First question, what was the emotional state like of NBA players during that time? It was awful. I mean, if you could just imagine the microcosm of all of society, right? What all black people were feeling yeah. concentrated to an 80 plus percent black league where now people are talking about whether or not you should be playing a basketball game, right? Whether or not your livelihood 
you know, should be impacted by what's happening in society. So I think like all of us, we were all emotionally drained. Um, But the reality is, is that NBA players were at the forefront of a lot of what happened. Right. So like they were, they shut down sports. Right. I I was there in quarantine in the bubble. I remember this like it was yesterday. I just got down to Orlando and you have to quarantine for a certain amount of time. And, you know, the, the team, the bucks were not coming out on the court. And I'm getting phone calls from the locker room and guys are like, I'm trying to reach Obama. I'm trying to do this. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Right, right. Like, and I don't have Obama on speed now, contrary to folks' beliefs. So I don't really know. Like, it's going to take a minute to catch him. But like, just the emotion of watching on TV on my ticker and sitting in my room in quarantine on the campus, but not able to get out just yet to get to them was was deep right like they were they were distraught in these different decisions to make because they were decisions that as we saw impacted the the whole the the country right like you literally saw like the bucks made that decision and then all these other teams stopped playing and they all kind of you know it was just this ripple effect and so that right there just shows you the level of courage that and the level of emotion that existed within within our players but the reality is is that again like my, my job both you know in that role but also as a black American woman who, you know, has been fighting for these, you know, social justice and social impact for a long time is first and foremost, I'm here for my people. Right. So the league is a league and it's all good. But like, I was always very clear and continue to be very clear that no job and and what they do or don't do is going to define what I think is right and what's, what's wrong. And so like, I love the title of your podcast disruption. Now my whole thing was how can we disrupt this whole thing? Like, what can we do not to get players on the court, but to make people feel just, to feel like they're being heard. And so I started hosting com- community conversations where I had Tamika and Brianna Taylor's mom, um, Tamika Palmer and Van Jones and Eric Thomas. And I was just do- hosting these conversations like back to back to back every week with NBA players and no other league people could be on no media, no, no spectators. This was for us to have real conversations about what, what, what are we supposed to do? And as right. men, what are they supposed to do? And so that, to me, that, that was how I was able to, to kind of pivot in those moments and say, I need to create a a safe space of dialogue where regardless of what people choose to do, play or not play, they're hearing from Breonna Taylor's mother, what she needs from them, right? Like, and she needed things from them. She needed them to know the officer's name. She needed them to say Breonna's name after games and on their sneakers and in media day, she needed things from them. And so my job was to, to bring her to them and them to her and people like her in those different situations. But you also obviously had some backlash. There is the there's this element um, within our society that believes that athletes should uh, what did that lady say on the other new shut up and dribble. Right. I don't even like mentioning her name. Right. I, I don't want I don't want people having links to go to to go to their site. But but what she said and why she is, I guess, good at her job, if that's what you want to say, is because people feel that way. Right. People feel some people feel that way that athletes, you should go in there, entertainers, you should go in there. You're there to entertain me, but you're not there to speak about issues outside of uh, in politics or in social impact. How do you help players kind of navigate that situation? Because that could be tough. That's something new, right? You have to now, now you have people criticizing you for just literally just speaking up for issues of social justice. So how do you navigate issues that are clearly uh my humanity shouldn't be controversial, but but for some people it is. Uh, so how do you how do you navigate that through the space? Because the 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 other model used to be that you know you do they wouldn't say this, but athletes in the past and and in some of the '80s and some of the '90s 
they kind of did shut up and dribble, right? That was what their their model was. That's the best way to make money is to, you know, you're, you're quiet and make as much money as you can. How do you advise athletes through this process when I think it's changed some, but there's still backlash? Yeah. Now, for me, the, the backlash, I'm like, my advice to them is what I, the backlash doesn't matter to me. And I say the same thing to them, right? Like, right. are you going to let the, the media backlash or the, the fans who you don't care about backlash? Obviously, they care about the fans, but the fans who are saying this about you are the fans that you want to lose anyway, right? Like, I think right. that's the reality is that you don't care if the person who's saying that buys your jersey or not. Unfollow me, all of that stuff. I think the bigger reality is that you're right. Like, back in the 80s and 90s, athletes didn't feel as empowered because somebody has to jump out there yeah. and take the step, right? And I think what you've seen now is that we've got players that are willing to risk it all. So you see LeBron and all these other guys like speaking out, but then you see the Jalen Browns and you know, you see these, you know, the Malcolm Brogdon's and they're like, I will drive to Atlanta and be in a March and I just won't play the game. Right. Yep, like yep. I will go and do what I have to do. You know, the, the Drew holidays of the world who I work really closely with is like, I don't even want the paycheck. I'm going to give this all to black and, and black owned businesses and black nonprofit organizations and the cities that I love. Right. So People are, are sacrificing their money, their time, their energy. And that to me is why you're seeing the shift, right? Is because people want to see somebody else do it. Yep. Muhammad Ali, and, and, and he's, he's not here right now. So even though we have legacy folks that are in our heroes that, that used to you know, risk it all, the way society is set up today is that people want to see right now what people are doing and willing to risk. And I think right now we're seeing that athletes are willing to do different things. Entertainers are as well. So now folks are more open to, to not shutting up and dribbling. They're like, let me say my piece. And hopefully more of that is happening because at the end of the day, does it really affect your, your pockets and bottom line? Like maybe, maybe, right? maybe but, not. I mean, for some people it might like for, it didn't for Colin Kaepernick, but it did for a while. Right. There right. is, there is, there is risk in speaking up. Like I, yeah. I and I don't think long-term it'll affect it. If you, if you can stay strong Mm -hmm. And if you understand, you don't let it affect you psychologically because it can. Right. This yeah. is my point is like, you're right. Ignore that. But it can also be tough when you're just hearing people say things that are just untrue. They're going after you. And, you know, I'm used to it. I ran for public office. LeBron is used to it just because just LeBron's been doing it forever. But some people may not be used to that and, and, and don't know how to deal with the media and also in the traps they try to set for you. So it's it's. It, it's tough. I mean, people look at athletes and say they make millions of dollars, which they do, but that doesn't make them not human. <laughs> that doesn't right. mean that they don't go through issues. Right. And I think the bigger thing too, is like, who else is telling you that? Right. So is, is the league, is the, are the teams telling you to, not by saying shut up and dribble, of course, but are people. They're going to say much more sophisticated than that. Let me tell you, the, the right. advisor is going to come up to him and say, well, you know, you have this endorsement deal with X, Y, Z. They actually support president X, Y, Z. And look, I know he's racist. He's a jackass, but like, Maybe you don't have to be the one to go out and say something about that because we have these deals with these people. That's my guess how the conversation goes. Yeah. And luckily, I'm not in those, but my, <laughs> that would be my guess, too. Right. And so I think to me, that's even harder. Right. Because yep. you're in the public eye, you're used to the fandom, you're used to the media. And of course, you have feelings and all of that. That and I can't imagine. I don't I think about it all the time, how these guys are able to handle the public scrutiny. The other piece, though, is that what if it's somebody that you trust that's saying that to you, right? That's saying you shouldn't speak out. What if it's somebody that's advising you to your point? I think that's the harder conversation to push back on. And I think that that's the other piece that you're seeing now is that it's the brotherhood and the camaraderie of athletes all across sport, period, that's making individuals feel like they can say more and do more because now there's this brotherhood, right? So it's like you can say back to the naysayer that's in your corner, 
Like, hey, like I respect your opinion, but this right. is my life. And this is, you know, I'm the black man in America here. So this is something I have to speak up about. And that's also the power. That was the power of that moment in protest. It, it provided social proof, if you will, for people to say, all right, look, there's a lot of you almost feel like it was almost the reverse thing is like if you're not speaking up as an athlete, that's not always the truth. But if you're not speaking up as an athlete, people might look at you. Well, why are you not speaking up? That might not matter to some athletes, but to most people, it does. So it tells you the power of a movement and the power of people when they're putting pressure, they don't even have to put direct pressure on people. They want to be a part of the change, which is why it's so important for people to get involved. Speaking to that point, um, I know you had a lot of involvement in getting uh, uh, NBA players registered to vote and, and quite a few, I think, I think you got the registration rate up to up above 90%. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But before that it was, I don't know what it was. I think it was lower. And there were a lot of people that <laughs> I remember, I think Snoop Dogg came out famously saying that he never voted before, which I'm like, you didn't vote for Obama, but I'm like, all right, anyway, anywho, right. I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad some people are coming up to vote though now. Uh, but how did you have a conversation with people when that I'm sure some said, it doesn't matter if I vote, people are going to do what they're going to do. Politics is corrupt, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. How do you, how did you, how did you, how did you advise them through that? And obviously you had some success in converting them to uh, becoming voters. Yeah. First, I think politics is corrupt, right? I think, of I think you've it, seen, is. it is, it you've is. Yes. Seen it, right. So yes. I'm like, my response to that is, yeah, I, yes, it is. But the reality is, is that if none of us vote, then we're definitely about to lose, right? Like at the end of the day, if our numbers are so low, like our odds are really against us, right? Like, so, you know, really, and, and obviously I'm, I'm joking, but that is exactly what I say to them is like, look, of course it is, but you have to just exercise your right, right? Like you have to like put your best foot forward. It's like anything else. It's like applying for the job. It's like trying out for the team, put cash your ballot, whatever happens after that, you can't control, right? I can't control right. the corruption. I can't control anything else. But the reality is, is that you have like these issues affect our communities. Right. And I think, you know, we all will vote, not we all, but a lot of people will vote for the presidential election. And they're not voting in the, the local elections at all, which yes. is really where people need to be focused. Right. Yep. And we still have a long way to go on that. Like, I think that is a societal issue. Amen. And I think, you know, I can go down the rabbit hole of why there's not commercials about local voting. Like there's all these different things. There's reasons yeah. why we're not being told to, to well, vote. That's on per- right. Because, because there's cool a lot purpose. of power in voting. Yeah. I, and I tell people when they, I have several, I've gone through so much of this because I've, I've done a lot of community organizing as well. I, I started the first college chapter of the NAACP at the University of Cincinnati. Mm. Something I would tell people, I said, why do you think people spend so much money on politics if it doesn't matter? Mm. That's my first question. Like, so if it didn't matter, why people wouldn't spend any money on it then? And then they tried to, well, because people spend so much money. I said, yes, but you can still overcome that. But it just takes, voting is one thing, but it's a major thing, right? right. It's voting, then it's, then it's following up with protests, and then it's organizing when people get in office and holding them accountable. You have to do all those things. But Everybody can't do everything, but almost everybody can vote. So like, right, exactly. that's one thing you can do to participate. And when people tell me they don't like the choices, I said, most of the time I get down to them. I said, well, how much have you, did you vote in the primary? It's about, it about 15 people running. Did you vote for those? Did you, did you vote then? So you tell me there's no choices, but did you vote in primaries? Mm. There's a whole bunch of people running. Right. Uh, and so like part of the process is getting people to understand like the, the, these things matter and that their voice matters. And, and this is the final thing I say on this. I said, well, you, you get what you don't vote for too. That's, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And I think that's how, to answer your question about how we got the registration up, 
luckily it was we had donald trump like yeah exactly. I'm literally like if we i, I would literally you just say here look you want this if he, if he wins again it's your fault that was my line if he wins it's your fault i just want you to know that it is your fault if he wins again like and of course like the collective of that of, of the inaction is exactly i think what would have happened right and so even though the people didn't love the choices and i heard that a lot right like people right. did not love the choice the, the choices that that were in front of us but really my, my, my feedback would be, you know, at the end of the day, do you want it to be Trump again? Like, can we, can we afford as a nation for this to happen? And because collectively the answer is no, vote for whoever else it is that you want to do. That ain't him. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Whoever. And if that meant that I had to walk around the bubble with my sign, with my QR code going up to Kauai and like, put your QR code, like, like, like register. But at the end, as soon as he finished, he high five. He's like, man, like, let's take a picture. Like, this is a, it's a big deal. People voting for the, for the first time. And that's how I tried to make it fun. Right. I tried to make it celebratory. I tried to make it something where we took a picture and sent it to the grandma. Like that to me was that's smart. Probably, that, that's smart. Yeah. That's yeah. a smart way to do it in the community. Like make it engaging, make them feel empowered through the process. I mean, you're right. Versus that's why I say, even though Stoop Dog said he never voted till then, I'm like, we got to, okay, we got to praise these people. I don't want to attack him because he is voting. <laughs> so let's right, exactly. in the right direction. Yes. And I think that that's a lot of us, you know, we're 30, 40 years old voting for the first time, because again, from our, up, uh, from our upbringing, we didn't see it. That's so frustrating. I got to yeah. say it's so frustrating though, because yeah. being on the other side, running for office and seeing that, like I, I remember a couple of years later, no, it might've been 2020. I can't remember. I was talking to a woman in Ohio and, and uh, I was volunteering for something with the uh, NAACP Youth Council. And I told her I ran for office. I said, oh, that's great. And then I, I don't think she even voted during that election. She said, I didn't vote in that election. And what is it? I just got to gather my, I, I said, well, I mean, but this, I try, I try to explain like, this is why though, right? This is, this is, like good people do run, but she didn't even know I was running. Mm. But part of it is like, how didn't you know? It was like, you didn't do like, we, we have to get involved in these things. And like, just because you don't like who's running for governor, there's people running for treasurer. There's people running for secretary right. of state. There's people running for prosecutor. And, and those people have a very direct effect on your life too. We just get lost. We get into it. We get into a very uh, entertainment with our politics is like only if it's president, those things matter. Those, those things matter, but they probably matter the least compared to everything else. So exactly. Yes. If you can, if you can help us there, let long. me know. Right. Well, that's why we have such a long way to go there. Cause I think people, and people still don't know when it, it's, when it's time to vote for their local election. So that was my point back to societally it's done on purpose, right? Like we can yeah. see a million Coke commercials in the black neighborhood or the Cheetos commercial, but where is, and I'm not talking about the rival campaign commercials. I mean, like the straight up, this is your local election. This time to vote now. We don't care who you, who you pick, but like, this is the time of year to do that. And like, I don't understand why that doesn't happen, but it's clearly intentional. Yeah. And then last point on this, I'll say uh, what Democrats should do because uh, they should have a strategic focus on this all the time all the time, because when voter participation goes up, just right now, Democrats tend to win, but it's also better for democracy. My hope is like, you know, we vote enough regularly, Republicans will start at least trying to pretend or do something to to pivot on their policies because they'll have to. But I think as Democrats, uh, then they need to come up with policies to engage from the beginning and not just reacting towards presidential elections. I think I, I blame the Democratic Party and some of how they do things too as part of the problem. Like they're 
their their focus has been very much all right, we got a presidential and congressional election. Let's figure out how we get people to vote in, in three months before the election. And then after that, everything shuts off. And then we, we kind of repeat the cycle. That's what I think, you know, versus the Republican side, who is they're very strategic about winning every single seat every single time and making sure that their voters are inspired and get out to vote uh, no matter what. And so I, I think that's part of the problem. I think I think more people don't want their policies but they are better at motivating their people and keeping them motivated, which right. is a big issue. So anyway, I digress. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> now, speaking from experience, I had to do a little, uh, 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 I had to just uh, uh, put that out there a little bit. All right. Um, you talk, I want to talk more about what you do with your company and then have a few kind of wrap up questions. I read in one article that you like to advise women and people in life, uh, really through your business and kinship advisors and make sure to give us a link and we'll put that up there so people can know where to go. But one of the things you say is that you want people to recover from going on autopilot in life. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. Now that's, are you read deep? No. <laughs> so, I do. I, I, I read, I research. No. So it's it literally, it, it happened to me. So, and that's what I, what I refer to. So I think for many of us, myself included, I got to a place where I had like my dream corporate job, right? So I'm at the NBA. Granted, I did have the coolest job there. And like, That's you know, a pretty cool like, job. You <laughs> <laughs> had the coolest job. But also like I I got used to the, the routine of what it means to work in a corporate environment, right? And I think that happens to a lot of us. Whether or not it's corporate environment or whatever it is, we get an autopilot in life where you're just, you wake up, you go to work. You do whatever task is necessary. It, but for us, you know, at the league and with what we did, we were very events-based. So we knew it was draft combine, you know, rookie transition, the draft, the all-star, like you, everything was just right. always the same. And we just don't disrupt our lives enough, right? Like we're just consistently saying, oh, you know, not that you can't have a peaceful life and, and not that you can't have a consistency in your routine, but the reality is that we're going on all applied in the way that we think and the way that we challenge ourselves. Mm. And so I found myself feeling that way um, multiple times in my life. But more recently, um, which is why I started the kinship, is I would, I would wake up in the NBA bubble and I would see, you know, my, my brothers struggling and I would talk to them and it would be like, man, how come there's not a person that we could just talk to about the impact that we want to make? Why is it that we have to talk to the league or our agent or people who really don't know how to do this work? And I always knew that this is my calling because I've done this across my, my career. And the reality was, is that it took me thinking about why I wanted to stay in autopilot. Like what, what were the benefits of me staying in the same position? And the reality was that there were none, right? So I want to create generational wealth for me and my family. I'm not doing that work in a nine to five job. It's just not how it works no, in, our, not in our society, right? Not how so it works like, in America. Nope. It's not how it works, right? It's what we're taught. It's what my grandmother was taught. It's what my parents were taught. We were always taught to make enough money to pay your bills, to have a roof over your head. It was never make enough money to create anything or it's just not, it's not how our culture was brought up. Right. And so I started to think about that. Right. So I'm an autopilot. I'm going to work this job and I'm going to have just enough to pay my mortgage. Right. I'm like, this don't sound right. This isn't what God has on my heart. What's my way out of it. Same thing with so many different things. I know that I have a solution to help, to help these, these young brothers I'm talking to every day, but do I really want to work that hard? right? Like, do you really want to work that hard? And my family says to me all the time, literally just last weekend, you know, someone in my family said, when are you going to stop working so hard? And I'm like, when I have generational wealth for our family. Yeah. You, 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 you won't stop that. It's in your DNA. What? Yeah. It's, it's just part of 
who you are. Like I, I, I could also have, uh, it would be much easier to do, to, to not start a NFT marketplace. It would have been easier right. just to really invest in real estate. And I could have gone on autopilot, but I wouldn't be fulfilled. So I, I don't, it's not all about money. Like you need money to make impact. I always tell people, do not get it confused. Like yeah. you, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong. Not, not only is there nothing wrong with making money, you need to have money to yeah. have impact because no one can do period. anything unless you, period. Yeah. Hard stop. <laughs> like, yeah, that's all it's we need true. to say. We don't, we didn't understand that. Like yeah. we out here thinking it's all the other things. We need the money. You definitely need the money. You, you need the passion too. Yeah. You need to have yeah. a cause you're rooted in. All those things are important, but in a big, but, but if you don't have the means to provide, you don't have the means to build a team. If you don't have the knowledge to leverage technology to do that, mm-hmm. no one is going to hear your message. You won't scale. A vision without traction is also an illusion. Like you have the greatest vision in the world. If you can't amplify it and it has no traction, it, I won't say it won't matter, but it'll be just an illusion that'll never happen. So this is why you need money. You just absolutely need money. Absolutely. And so that's what I started to think about. So I'm like, there's that. And then to your point about passion and all that, I'm like, I used to wake up and people, I used to walk down the street and people would say, oh, you're this ray of sunshine. Past couple of years, people are like, oh, you cute. But I wasn't a ray of sunshine, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to 2020 and 2021. It's been been like- Ray of sunshine. Like, I, I want my spark back, right? And so, like, literally, like, all those autopilot. And so, all of, like, that that kept running through my mind. It's like, I'm just I'm just existing, right? Nothing wrong with it. I'm going to, from the outside looking in, people are like, oh, she existed, existing, right? Like, life must be good for her. Right. But but no, so that that's why I talk about that, is I think for all of us, like, disrupt, disrupt your life a little bit. Again, not for drama's sake, but take an inside look. And that's what I do for myself. That's what I do with the people I coach with. It's like, take a look at your internal level levels, right? So like, how, how's your foundation of your family and your, your finances and your mental health and your passion? And are you waking up every day feeling like, man, like this is, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, are you feeling that passion? Are you feeling that energy? And if the answer is no, because it's no for a lot of us, you don't, you don't have to make changes tomorrow, but just take a look at it, right? Like take a look at where you can kind of disrupt things a bit. Yeah, I like that part. Like, you know, don't 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 live your life on autopilot or don't keep living your life on like you run into an accident, like have a plan specifically. So what how do you get people started? Like you don't have to like you say, you don't have to do it tomorrow. But someone who's been on autopilot for 35, 40 years, old habits die hard. Right. They're built in. They're wired in. So how do you how do you kind of get them to start thinking out of those kind of old habits to step in a new direction? Where do you start? I start with an inventory, like take a personal inventory where you're real with yourself, right? So like, if you think about when you meditate and they always say, you know, put your feet on the floor and feel your feet to the ground then feel your knees and feel your breathing, like feel everything, feel, feel some things, right? So I always say that we always talk through what is it that you've always wanted to do that you're not doing now? Like, what are the areas of your life that bring you immense joy? And oftentimes people are like, no. I don't know. Like I can't actually think of right. anything that's bringing me immense joy. Like maybe your kids or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, let's talk about that. How does that feel that you're living life just, just to go to work every day, right. Or just to go to work at a place that you don't enjoy that you're waking up and feeling anxiety and feeling all these different things. And so it first starts with an analysis, like a real life, take a look at, you know, what your, your buckets of life are looking like your family, your job, your, your fitness, your finances, all these different things. And then we literally, we unpack each one of those areas and one, each one of those, you know, kind of subject matters. And so what I found is that 
people really do want to have a different lifestyle. People just don't want to put the work in, right? Or people just don't understand the gaps that they have. And so my job as like a thought partner is to help you see the blind spot. Or they're fearful of it too. That's also there too. Absolutely. I I lived through that, you know, all the time. And so, but that's why we need somebody to talk to. So I think the stigma of therapy has really changed in the Black community. But what we haven't seen a whole lot is the fact that white people and just non-Black folks have coaches for for life, not not therapy. It's like coaching through business, coaching through life, coaching through your passions. And so I also want to talk about that for our people too, is that's the reason why I became a coach is because I was coached. I had the opportunity to have a coach. And even though it was rocky in the start, because I was, you know, introduced to a coach who had no cultural connection to me. She was telling me to walk into places and say, I'm a black woman and hear me roar. And I was like, girl, I'm yeah, going to jail. That. Like, <laughs> like, they're going to think I'm all intimidating. Like, I'm going to lose my job. Like, you are not the right fit for me. So it took a while. But once I found someone to, to coach me through different scenarios, I was like, man, we don't even talk about this in our, in our, in our culture, right? We have coaches on the basketball court, but we're never talking about life coaches and pivoting and talking through different circumstances and strategy. And we can talk to our homegirls or we talk in the barbershop, like, but that's not enough, right? Like, I agree. You're making me need to realize I need a coach too. This is (laughs) You need a coach. Coaching is a game changer. It really is. And so I love that aspect of what I do through the kinship because I'm really watching people's lives open up. And the idea is to not have a coach forever. I just coached someone for the past six months. And September 1st, he said, I would like to take a break so that all the stuff that you've taught me, he was like, I feel like I can do anything. Now I want to implement it. And in 30 days, let's start back up again. That to me is success because I'm like, so many people want to hold on to these like codependent relationships. My job is to coach you to a place where you feel like you got this, like this next phase of life, this thing you're trying to build, this transition where you're about to kill it. And then you don't need me. Or maybe you need me again for a different transition. Right. Because I think people always need like one of the hardest skills to master. The hardest skill, I think, is really self-awareness. I think it's a constant. It's a constant process. Uh, I like to believe I'm self-aware. I'm sure I'm not as self-aware as, as self-aware as I'd like to be, but this is, this is where coaches, coaches come in, right. To help you understand the blind spots that you have, because everybody has them. If you don't think you have them, you probably have 10 times more than everybody else. <laughs> so. right. And they're coaches for different things. I got a coach for, for, I guess, nutrition, weight loss, like because I was in the pandemic wilding out. I didn't realize I was wilding out, but I was like, I can't come out the pandemic with these 20 pounds. Let me get a coach. Right. So I had to have somebody talk me through, you know, being in the house for a year and a half, I needed to break some things that I didn't even understand. Right. Like I I clearly had some blind spots because I was trying to work out and it wasn't working. So I literally got a coach for that. And she was like, look, the problem is, is that your accountability structure is messed up. Like when it's just you, then you can, you always put yourself last. So if it's only you trying to tell yourself to exercise, you, you're going to always not, not do that. But you need to join a class because you care a lot about letting other people down. That's some coaching shit right there. Like yeah. if I didn't talk to her, like, and she was right. She's like, you don't like, you don't like to let people down. So if you're doing a class with someone and you don't show up, that's going to make you feel bad. Right. So you're right. going to always show up. So I'm like, huh, that's it. That's true. Right. How, yep. how do you feel this way, lady? But, um, but it worked. So. I lost the 20 pounds. Yeah. Well, hey, that's good. There's no easy task losing 20 pounds. It's uh, it's very easy to get it. It's hard to get it off. So right, right. It was a coach. Yeah. Um, kind of some wrap up questions here. So 
What's an important conviction or truth you have that very few people agree with you on? Very few people agree with me on. Yeah. It's a hard question on purpose. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking because I feel like my truths people agree because they're so good. Um, There's got to be some that's like that, that yeah. people may not agree. Yeah. No, I'm thinking maybe it's that social impact is like for me, I think that the work that we're doing is all about community. And I think some people think that social impact, social justice, all these different things are an individual's game, right? It's like, what is Rob going to do to make an impact in his community? And like, it's on you to make those choices. It's on you to determine how much you want to get involved or how much you don't. Um, And I, I agree to, I agree with that to a certain extent, but my belief is that like this whole thing, the whole idea of impact and the whole idea of racial injustice and like making changes in these different spaces is a community sport. And again, I've had people not agree with me on that. Some people have said to me, like, it's this person's choice and how they want to behave and what they want to do. And and I actually think that we can do more as a group. My dream is to have this thing, I call it kinship and kinfolk, where it's like this secret society of like black people where we're like superheroes and we're like doing all this stuff that nobody knows behind the scenes. And we're like, just strategically making this impact. That's, that's really great. And and actually have built a mini super super team. So um, to folks that's out awesome. there, if you're interested, come join. So I guess, I mean, that's- the I'm interested. I have to, I, I'm interested. I want to hear about it. I definitely would yeah. like to be, I like to be a part of the superheroes. Yes. And so like, so I think to me, a lot of people are like, you can move faster in some of these ways, kind of maneuvering on your own. And, and I don't agree with that. So I would say that's the first thing that comes to mind is I've had yeah. to kind of argue people down sometimes to say, no, we need, we need to come this, become this collective of people. I completely agree. Um, I mean, that's part of what we want to do with disruption now of connect, connect us more globally to have, uh, have social impact. Uh, second question, a time you failed and, or had a setback and how that helped you do to become a better leader, or a better person. Yeah. So I would say I had a setback. This is a long time. I've had many since then, but what comes to mind is, when I moved out to LA, I was in the, the PR entertainment industry, but I wanted really badly to work in sports. And so I interviewed for a team. I would literally leave my job in the middle of my lunch break, nowhere near. I was working in, in Burbank at, at, a, at a studio, a TV studio. Yeah. And I would drive all the way downtown to LA, which is really far. And that would be like two hours late back that, to work. Everything would, in LA is far. Everything in LA is far. But I would do this drive because I was low-key trying to get a new job, right? And so I would lie to my boss and be like, I was sick at lunch and you know, all this different stuff. Make a long story short, I got offered a job at a team, at an NBA team, and came to see the meet the, the team president. And he immediately was like, You're in the wrong place. Come to find out, he said there's no way I would hire um, a black girl to do this job. He was like, She's probably gonna sleep with the player. This is gonna happen, blah, blah, blah. We can't afford the liability. And they retracted my job offer. I was unemployed for a year and a half, sleeping on my cousin's floor. And I felt like a whole failure, right? Like I'm telling my family that I can do this. I'm moving to LA. My family didn't come for money. So I'm out here, like I said, sleeping on my cousin's floor. Um, And that to me was such a failure of a moment that it turned me off of sports for a decade. I didn't work in sports for 10 years after that. Um, and cu- it came full circle though. It was a life-changing moment for me because a couple things, Hey, I was like women, clearly they don't like women. They don't like black women. The NBA is some trash. Like this is not going to be a career path for me, even though I really was convicted that this would be my calling. Fast forward though, a decade later, when I start working at the NBA, Adam Silver took the team away from this team owner. Mm. The other person from that team that was let go or whatever was the president of the team who said that he would never hire a black girl. Wow. 
That's so, karma for you. That's karma. It took, it took a decade, but it was karma. But that there were so many lessons that came in that for me. Like I stayed in LA. Like I said, I was unemployed. I had all these different things. But I, 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 there's things that I learned about myself in that. Um, and then again, but the idea of karma and, and just my faith is so strong. I just remember getting that job and it being that same week that Adam d- took the team. And I remember like praying to God and be like, look at, mm-hmm. like, look at how, look at my level of conviction and my level of faith that, that at awesome. the same time this happened. And so it really helped to increase my faith too, in this way that all things come full circle, maybe not on my time, but always right on time. And yeah. it really felt right on time when that happened. That's an awesome story. That is an awesome story. I mean, didn't feel awesome during the process, I'm sure, but it's awesome looking looking back on it now. That is that is that is awesome. Congratulations on that. Final question: um, You have a theme for life. Uh, it could be, and you want to. It's a it's a it's a billboard. It's a Google ad. What is that theme? What is it? What is that theme for your life, and why? Mm. What is that saying? Theme, whatever. Yeah. Oh, these are good questions. I think from the theme for my life. I don't know. Maybe like I say this to my team all the time at the kinship at the end of our calls, I'd be like, let's go get it. Like I'm always talking about like, let's go get it. And to me, that's always been the theme right now that it could be a whole host of different things. But in my mind, like I truly have that, that drive inside, like let's, let's go get it. Whatever the, it is, whatever the thing is like, let's go be great. Let's do that. And I could just see, I see a billboard and people might not know what the hell are they talking about? Like, what does she mean? Let's go get it. But I say it to my team, so it comes to mind, like, you know, let's get to it. Alexis Feaster, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Let's definitely stay in touch. Definitely want to be on that superhero team. Appreciate you coming on. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks so much.